The Golden Mike Podcast is presented by SeaDeck Marine Products. SeaDeck features non-absorbent closed-cell PE EVA blended foam that delivers the perfect combination of comfort, safety, and style. For more information, check out www.seadeck.com. That's S-E-A-D-E-K.com. Your boat deserves SeaDeck. And now, it's showtime. the official voice of Toad Water Sports for over a decade. His vocal tones have narrated the industry's biggest and most prestigious events in the world. With over 25 years of on-water experience, captivating charisma, and a command of his audience, presented by Sea Deck Marine Products, it's the Golden Mike Podcast, with the noise of the North himself, oh, yeah. Dano the Mano. Thanks for tuning in to episode 101 of the Golden Mike Podcast. I'm Daniel Lomano, the noise of the North, recording this portion of the podcast from my Chicagoland North Shore Suburban Studio in my parents' house. And now it's time for some audio sunshine. Today's episode is brought to you in part by Connolly Skis and Wakeboards. Did you all know that Connolly's been making summer fun since 1965? They've been making my summers fun since 1990. That's when I got my first Connolly ski. I remember it like it was yesterday. It was the Connolly craze. We got it at Sport Mart. It was a hot dog slalom ski, perfect for a little wake to wake air. That's right. Connolly is keeping the traditional live today and this summer. They're going to be providing two brand new pair of freestyle jump skis to the Twin Lakes Corn Fest, an event that I'm helping organize on August 17th in Twin Lakes, Wisconsin. And this is unheard of and probably the best prize ever in water skiing. At the Corn Fest, there's going to be four on-water events, including the Conley two-man team Jump Royale, where the winning team is going to take home a pair of Conley jumpers. Each guy on that team is going to take home a pair of Conley jumpers, and that's crazy. Check out the entire Conley line from classic skis to the most cutting-edge wakeboards and boots and wake surfers and all the accessories to keep your summer fun at ConleySkis.com. That's C-O-N-N-E-L-L-Y.com. And here we are, episode 101. This is part two, or part deux, as Ollie and Raph Jerome would say up there, those awesome French Canadians. In fact, just hung out with Raph Jerome over the weekend at stop number four, the Malibu Boats Rider Experience. We were out there in Detroit, Michigan. But back to the episode, Big Lair, Larry Medock. We had so much kind feedback on episode 99 with Larry. We recorded for a really, really long time, so I wanted to cut it up, and we did that. It's all good. We have two episodes, and they were split by episode 100, the milestone, or the centurion, as Eric Ruck called it. I hope you guys listened to that one. So on this portion of the interview with Larry, Larry and I, we kick it off. We start talking about some of the most influential people in water sports, in the water ski world, in the wakeboard world. Uh, Larry tells me about his relationship and his times with Andy Mapple, Ronnie Barton Bischoff, Ron Scarpa, Scott Byerly. 
We talk about Larry's very accomplished son and my good friend and a past photographer of the year, Joey Medock, as well as a conversation about water sports industry. I know you guys are going to enjoy it. You guys all enjoyed the last one, and this one is just as good. So help me out, folks. If you're a new listener, please head over to iTunes and subscribe to the Golden Mike Podcast. While you're there, please rate five stars to the show, then write a little review. I'll read those reviews. I'll do that a little bit later. I've got one for this episode coming up. Episodes of the podcast are also available on SoundCloud and most podcast apps on Android devices. Of course, you can always listen, noiseofthenorth.com. So spread the word. Since day one, the podcast has been free to all listeners, and that is due in part to some pretty rad sponsors. I'd like to thank them. SeaDeck Marine Products, Boulder Boats, WSIA, Roswell Marine, Woodrose, Sustainable Optics, Performance Ski and Surf, Footin.com, Waterskiing.com, GoPuck, Hyperlight, Conley, Leadwake, Ronix, O'Brien, and Slingshot. Shoot those guys some love in the fashion of follows on social media or click on their websites. And I'll be able to continue capturing the sounds behind the industry we all love so much. If you have a chance, give me and the podcast a follow on social media as well. Here's how you can find me on Instagram at Dano T Mano, on Twitter at the Dano T Mano, and at the Golden underscore Mike. The Facebook page is the Golden Mike Podcast. So please like and share that too. All right, so you all remember a moment ago I asked for you to rate and review the show on iTunes or the podcast app. Well, when you do, I will read it on the podcast. And right now, while I have supplies, I will even send you a free Golden Mike podcast t-shirt or hat. All you got to do, write that review. Once it posts on iTunes, take a screenshot of that, either email it to me or you can direct message me through any of my social media feeds with your address, and I will get you all hooked up. So here is the latest review on the podcast, and it came in just after the 4th of July on July 5th from Troy Jaster, and it reads the in the title, Larry Medoc Dash Awesome, five stars. Came upon this podcast a few months ago and listened to a ton of the archives. Last week's Larry Medoc interview was excellent. The Dr. Michaels and Masters stories were crazy to hear. From his perspective, keep it coming. Thank you, Troy Jaster. Make sure you shoot me a message so that I can hook you up with some free swag, brother. All right, everyone, just before we get into the interview, the gang at Roswell are hooking all Golden Mike podcast listeners up through July 31st. So listen good here and act fast. Right now, Roswell is offering their premium marine-grade wake tower speakers. I'm specifically talking about R1 in-boat speakers and subwoofers, the R1 6.5 and 8-inch in-boats, and the R1 10 and 12-inch subs 
for 25% off at roswellmarine.com. Whether you're upgrading your old boat or customizing something fresh and new, Roswell Tower speakers are built to last longer and give you the best sound on the water. Go to roswellmarine.com, use my promo code GOLDENMIKE, that's G-O-L-D-E-N-M-I-C at checkout. Receive 25% off. Crazy deal on some of the most amazing product in the water sports industry. Roswell is more than a brand. It's a family, which means from the moment your gear arrives, it's all good and no worries, man. Golden Mike is the promo code. 25% off is the deal. And the R1 in-boat speakers and subwoofers are only a click away. Roswellmarine.com, people. Again, that's Roswell marine.com all right mano fanos let's get to part two of larry medoc right here and we're gonna do this thing on the golden mike podcast i picked andy mapple ronnie barton bischoff ronnie was recently inducted into the hall of fame and she's also uh she also runs the master she's one of the greatest female water skiers i mean just toad water sports athletes of all time ron scarpa and another name is um, Scott Byerly. Um, and um, I'd like to maybe start with, with Andy Mapple and kind of get your recollection of oh. Andy and working with Andy. And That's a tough one, Danny. I, um, I had the privilege to be sitting in my office when the first time Andy walked into my office and indicated he'd like to ski for us. Uh, we didn't know him. He, you know, he knew us, I guess, but we really didn't know him. And he turned out to be uh, not only the great athlete that he turned out to be, but a really dear, dear friend. Um, we did a lot of stuff together off the water, uh, lots of dinners, lots of lots of laughs. Um, he would host dinners at his house that there were themed dinners that we would do over there that were great fun. Um, needless to say, I, um, my wife and I were in California when I got the call from Dina that Andy had passed. It was the, one of the darkest days of my life. Um, I think if I was th- of all the things, two things I would share with you about Andy Mapple. Um, one is that Andy knew in his heart of hearts that he was, as a person, he wasn't going to be judged by the performance he turned in on the water that day. Andy was a believer, and Andy knew there was only one person that was going to judge him, and that was Jesus Christ. And if he knew that God was the only one that was going to judge him, he knew that he would not be judged by his performance. It gave him incredible peace. And so Andy Mapple on the starting dock was the calmest guy you'd ever see. And I think that was part of the secret to his success is that he didn't carry this stigma on him that he had to perform in order to maintain the stature that he had achieved, uh, that, that, Hey, I'll do my best. And if it's not good enough for today, then that's fine. Cause I'm okay. And God's okay. And I'm okay. I, I, I was just blown away with that. The other thing that I remember, I was at the world championships in Medellin, Colombia, and, um, uh, Andy had just won the world championship. He came over to me. He unzipped his wetsuit 
and he pulled out a love letter from his son telling his dad he wished him well and good luck on the slalom course. And Andy was absolutely in tears. He was weeping like a child. And he was sharing this with me. And it told me that this was a good father, a good husband, a good man. And um, that's that's what I take with me as I think about Andy Mapple. Um, I'd like to uh, chat a little bit about Ron Scarpa because Ron Scarpa was one of my favorite guests. He's a guy who I didn't really, you know, I was into barefooting, but I wasn't into that traditional style of barefooting. We were in ski shows. I was into frontwards barefooting through choppy water. Um, through you, I've been able to kind of start a, a bit of a relationship with, with Ron. I had him on the podcast. He came out to Feet on Fire. Uh, he's an awesome dude. He's a trash talker. Um, he's, he's cool. He's cocky. Uh, Ron is awesome. And I know, you know, just talking with him on the podcast, he was blown away that you guys even, and by you guys, the Nautique team wanted him to be a part of, of their brand for so long. Talk a little bit about Ron and, and, uh, the evolution of the raging bull. Ron came to us, believe it or not, through his dad, Mario Scarpa. And back in the day, he had a restaurant, Italian restaurant down in Winterhaven. And uh, Mario and Ron came to my office one day and Mario announced to me that we needed to hire Ron, his son, Ron, because he was going to be the next biggest, bestest uh, barefooter on the planet. Was, was, was Ron's dad like a foreign guy? Uh, he was he, uh, to look at him was, I think, more mafioso than anything else. He was quite a character. Ron, Ron gets his temperament and personality, honestly, because Mario was quite a character himself. And um, Ron's mother, also a very unique gal. And I want to say they had already divorced at the time I met Ron the first time. They had divorced early. Um, Ron at the time probably was maybe 15, 16 years old. Um, if, if you look back at barefooting, at least in the U.S., the two icons that really started for the U.S. was John Gillette and Mike, Seip, uh, Mike Body. And then fast forward about 10 years, you now run into Ron Scarpa and Mike Seipel. And then fast forward to that um, a lot longer. As you've, I think there's, you know, Keith St. Ange and, and a couple other guys are the, the mainstays. And you can do the same thing with the ladies with, you know, uh, Lori and, and, and others. But. Ron came along and uh, Ron was so unique. He would, his personality, we hear about people that they walk into the room and the room lights up. Ron Scarp is that kind of guy. When Andy Mapple walked into the room, the room didn't light up. The room just became different because somebody really special was in the room. When Ron Scarpa went into the room, you could feel the energy go up because you had no idea what's going to come out of his mouth. And and he is going to engage everybody in the room to make them all feel that, you know, you're, you're his best friend. Ron would go to boat shows and Dano, he would put on a barefoot clinic in the aisle of a, of a boat show. And he'd be down there on his back showing them how to tumble up. Um, he would he was absolutely uh, a Pied Piper. He was a magician of people and his talent, as you well know. I will tell you the day Ron Scarpa called me and told me he was leaving Nautique to go to Malibu. 
uh, was one of the toughest days of my life. He came to my house here that we are doing this podcast from, and he came in and we sat on the back porch. And uh, I'm not, I'm man enough to tell you, I actually kind of cried a little bit in front of him. I welled up and the tears just started coming because I thought I was losing my friend, you know, and that I was, you know, what did I do wrong? You know, why are you going to go to another manufacturer? And he was very upfront and he said, Larry, I can do more behind that outboard than I can behind an inboard. And Malibu has made me a deal I just can't say no to doesn't change our relationship we're still friends and that came back in spades we're still great friends to this day um, he has a wonderful family beautiful wife and um, I consider Ron one of my dearest friends he's a good guy and I didn't really under I didn't realize this until I was sitting there at the water ski hall of fame this year and um, the the main event the main attraction the the main inductee, so to say, was Ronnie Barton yeah, Bischoff, yeah. I would assume, because she was the yes. final one. No, she was the only one. Remember, there's two levels of the Hall of Fame. There's the Awards of Distinction, mm -hmm. and then there's the Hall of Fame. Okay. So there was only one induction into the Hall of Fame, and that was Ronnie. All the other five were Awards of Distinction. So so this year, so Ronnie's inducted. Yep. And um, through her stories, I didn't realize how much um, you played a part in her career. Well, her dad, um, uh, uh, Bobby Barton, was a boat driver. He was a pretty good slalom skier but, and, and jumper. In fact, he was a better jumper than slalom skier, but he was a really good boat driver. And Bobby kind of sponsored me and took me under his wings so that I could get my driver's rating uh, for AWSA tournaments. And I became as much a driver in three-event uh, tournaments than I did, you know, competitor. So Bobby and I were, were very, very good, very close. And, uh, um, and Bobby is the one that actually taught me how to drive a twin rig in terms of how to, how to throttle a twin rig hydrodyne in a tournament. So I knew him very well. And Ronnie and her brother, uh, Robbie, were just, you know, they were, they were the proverbial knee-high to a grasshopper back in those days. And so, and then Cheryl, uh, Bobby's, uh, uh, Ronnie's mom, um, you know, where it was, um, just a great family, just a great, great family. And, you know, I got the word like everybody else did that, that, uh, Bobby had died of a heart attack and a massive heart attack. The doctors say he was dead before he even hit the floor, uh, in their kitchen one morning. And that was devastating to the whole local, you know, three event community. Cause Bobby was from Southern California. And, uh, um, Next thing I know, Ronnie uh, and Cheryl and Robbie have moved to Florida. So that back to what we were early talking about, people realize that if you're really going to be serious about water skiing, so you can ski literally year round, you've got to train in Florida. Uh, she moved to Florida, um, and she just blossomed as a as a, a young girl, young lady, as a mom, as a wife. Um, and she's been and always been a very special part in my life. Um, I've traveled the you know, many because Nautique, we early on, we realized there was a great opportunity to market through the IWSF back in those days. And so all the world championships were pulled by Nautique. So whenever there was a world championship, you know, I would spend time and and I got to be with Ronnie when she would go speak at local churches uh, Ralph Sr. would set those up. I would usually attend with him. 
I got to see her faith in action. I got to see the real Ronnie in action that she's much like Andy. You know, she knows she's not going to be judged by a performance. She's going to be judged by God Almighty and only by God. And that, I think, also gave her great, great confidence and great comfort when she was on the water. Um, don't know the, the, her, her, her children that well. Uh, Chris, great guy. Um, everybody thinks the world of Chris. Yeah, and Bish, uh, of course, runs yep, so many of the yep, events that, that I've yep. been announcing for so long. And so I, I, think, uh, I think the world of her, uh, she teases me that I'm kind of her adopted dad because, you know, I was same, you know, Bobby and I were the same age. One last athlete, and I, I would assume that a majority of my listening base are, are wakeboarders. And in fact, this guy's podcast is to this day the most listened to episode that I ever did. Um, probably the hardest episode that I ever recorded too, because uh, he's not necessarily the, the the biggest talker in the world. But right. Scott Byerly, right? Um, you know, you, you you look at the, the Nautique brand and the image and the culture and everything like that, and um, you know, for Scott to be a part of it for so long, I mean, to me, tradition and history, it definitely makes sense. But, you know, Scott's got the tattoos. He's kind of, in a way, can be quiet or whatever. People can have their thoughts on who he is or what he is because of the way he looks with the dreadlocks and everything like that. But uh, he's a guy that, that's been a part of the Nautique brand long for a time. long yeah. time. And I can only assume that you are the one who brought him in. I can't. I thank you. But no, I can't. I can't take credit for that at all. A guy by the name that worked for me, by the name of Scott Moore, uh, brought uh, Mr. Barley to the table. Because um, I'm just old enough to that, that, that tatted look and the dreadlocks is not exactly my, my uh, you know, first choice of uh, dress attire but I've learned in my old age you don't judge a book by its cover what was it like working with Scott he was quiet for, to me because you know I think I represented the the management of Nautique uh, so he was very very quiet around me um, Scott spoke so highly uh, Scott Moore spoke so highly of Scott Byerly that this was somebody we needed on our team and uh, I trusted Scott and Scott Moore and said, Scott, if you think this is the guy we need to have, let's go for it. Um, got him on board. Um, and as they say, the rest is history. Like I say, he's been one of the longest tenured athletes uh, Correct Crab Nautique have had. Um, I, what I've enjoyed with Scott is just, I think, the mutual respect uh, that he'll always come and say hello to me. He'll always shake my hand. He'll always look me in the eye, uh, which sometimes hard to get out of Scott, you know, because Scott's one of these guys that'll, he's so soft-spoken, at least all again around me, he's always been soft-spoken, that he's more often looking down or looking away. And But he'll come up to me. And I think what we have in common is motorcycles. Is uh, He's uh, a motorcycle fan, as am I. And, um, but he's, uh, like I said, he's been one of those... Uh, very uh, traditionally traditionally odd individuals that has turned out to be a tremendous asset for Nautique and for the sport. And like you said, truly an icon in this, in this world. Any other, um, any other athletes that you worked with that I maybe forgot about that really stick out, who are a pleasure for you to work with? I think Mike and Helena um, um, were, um, just you know a wonderful brother sister team is that 
uh, Shaylander. Yeah, Mike and Helena Shaylander. Um, just a tremendous. Uh, Jack Travers, you know, Travers Ski School, we've been there from the beginning. Uh, Jack and Lilani, wonderful folks, uh, very, very consistent. Um, I get to see them, you know, at the Hall of Fame. Um, Cindy Todd, Les Todd, again, very, very special athletes to me. Um, Cindy always, whenever I see her, she, I'm Tom to her. I, I, where that came from, I don't know. But when I see her to this day, she'll say, hi, Tom. Um, you know, you travel with these people, you get to know them off the course and you get to see what they're really all about. Uh, Mike Hazelwood. Um, I'll never forget the day Mike Hazelwood left us and went to another boat company. And I ran into Mike maybe two or three years at uh, a uh, tournament and he walked up to me and he sat down next to me and he said, Larry, I just want you to know that leaving Nautique was the biggest mistake I've ever made in my career. And I, that meant so much to me. And I know it was hard for him to say that, but it meant the world to me. It told me what kind of a person he is. Um, oh, there's, there's so many. Cindy Benzel, um, God, I grew up with her in California. Saw her, you know, come up through the ranks. And now her husband, Dave, and I are considered great friends. Um, I got one more name here that, Go for I, it. that I wrote Go down for it. that um, uh, I, I mentioned him at the beginning of the podcast, and I, I feel like he's a guy who's done a ton for the industry and kind of uh, in the world of wakeboarding helped kind of shaped how we saw, I would say, the late early to like mid to even, you know, some, some stuff that's happened over the last four or five years. And that's your son, Joey Medock. <laughs> and, um, you know, I, I, you know, Joey's, paths have changed a lot throughout the years um you know and even in his early days i know he was um you know a, a, a rider i know he he dabbled in sea world for a second there and um you know ran with the best pro wakeboarders in the world and captured their biggest and best moments but um talk a little bit about um watching joey come up and seeing him you know make all these achievements you know photographer of the year and and just the history you know i look around your office here and i know that uh, a lot of the photos that i'm seeing in here are some of the most iconic photos you know from the sport and they were taken by your son well thanks dano i obviously as a dad i'm very proud of my son but um he had a strange um a strange entry entree into wakeboarding um, as you know we uh, the, my company was involved with SeaWorld, and he was just a junior rider and he had uh he was riding pretty good for juniors at the time i guess they were called groms at the time and and um, I had taken him to a few tournaments out, out of the area. I remember taking him to the Nationals once in Texas. And, and uh, mom and dad wanted him to go to college. Uh, we didn't want him to become a professional wakeboarder. And um, he, did not, he did not want to go to college. He, you know, he fought us tooth and nail. He finally uh, agreed. And it was during that time in college, I don't remember exactly what year it was, but he got hired at SeaWorld to ride in the show and become a show skier. And he was out practicing and landed a trick that absolutely 
destroyed his knee. Um, um, I, he shows me on a board where his knee went versus where his feet were. And Dano, it's one of those deals you say, oh, my God, how in the world did you? I don't understand how it was still connected to his to his leg. It was so bad. Anyway, he went into surgery and he did a complete rebuild of his knee. And because he was at SeaWorld, he went immediately onto workman's comp. And SeaWorld was obligated to pay this kid uh, to rehabilitate. So he had to go to work every day. And, um, and he found himself in the gym and he started working out. But he also picked up a camera. And he had never picked up a camera, so to speak, prior to that that I'm aware of. But because he was an athlete, he, like you said, he knew how the trick or the maneuver was going to play out. So you could have 10 photographers standing in line figuring, all right, I'm going to take a picture of this guy doing whatever he's about to do. Joey would be down the lake someplace saying, this is the angle because if the guy hits this thing, this is where this trick's going to land. Or this is where he'll be at his apex or whatever. Because he understood the tricks. He understood the, the movements that the athletes were going to do. So he picked up the camera, started shooting these guys as he's rehabilitating himself. I think he was eight months in rehabilitation. It was it was a very bad accident. And uh, in the meantime, he's still trying to go to school. And he finally graduates, throws his diploma at his mother, saying, here, this is for you, because, you know, he didn't want to be there. Because he could make more money doing photography than he could going to school. And uh, he literally just starts submitting pictures and at the time because Nautique had a pretty good budget with the wakeboard magazines at the time I would talk to the editors and they started publishing his stuff and I'd call these editors and say look you don't have to do this you know I just because you know he's my son and I'll never forget that the I don't remember who it was but uh, one of the editors from wakeboarding magazine called me up and said Larry I want to tell you something. You need to get over this. Your son actually is a very good photographer. We're not doing this because of our contract with you. I said, fair enough. Good, good. Okay. And that was probably the last time I really got involved in his business. He just, he just took off. And as you know, he started the Standard, uh, which was his coffee table magazine that was done quarterly. I'll never forget the day he came back from Surf Expo. They had a booth at Surf Expo, and he had a great big grin on his face, and he said, Dad, I sold every page in the magazine for the entire year. The magazine is paid for. This was, remember, in September of 2007. By January of 2008, every page had been canceled because that's when the recession really hit in. And so he lost all of his advertisers. He couldn't pay for the magazine. They still put out like eight issues. Yeah. And he, uh, oh yeah, prior to that. And, but he had to fold it up and he had to declare bankruptcy. That Dano was probably the darkest day for my son and my, my wife and I, as he sat on our kitchen table and just wept. And I told Jan, I said, you know what's sad is that he had so much invested of himself into this magazine. I said, I think he would have sold his soul to the devil he would, if he could have, if that would have meant the magazine would survive. 
he would have sold his soul, which is sad because he, he disbelieved in it so strongly. So he folded it up. We went through the agony of helping him get through bankruptcy. And uh, he came to me one day and he said, Dad, I've learned something. He said, people don't read, they scan. I said, you're right, son. They don't read, they scan. He said, pictures don't have an expiration date. A great photo is a great photo. It never expires. As you said, we're in our office here, Dan, and there's a picture on the wall here of what he calls the endless cloud. And he took that picture on the dock on Lake Tahoe that we were at. And um, that picture has no expiration. It's just a great photograph. And so he said, I've got 10 to 12 years of images that are all archived. And he said, I think I can produce a digital magazine and I can provide all the images myself. I don't even have to pay anybody for any images. So the business model will change and we'll produce it digitally. And that came out with the Wake Journal. And the Wake Journal, you know, took off. And that had its, had its run. And like many things today, and we all know things change for everybody. And I know a lot of publishers right now are going through a lot of tough times trying to figure out how to stay afloat. And Joey's fell victim to that same thing. And it was very tough. He had to shut that one down. And um, to this day, it, it, it weighs heavy in his heart that he had to shut down the Wake Journal. But those of us that know him and, and our friend Kevin Michael, I love Kevin. He said, hey, Joey, you had a hell of a run, man. He said, be proud of what you've done. You had a hell of a run. It's time to go do something else. Well, it's, it's true. And, you know, the, the history that, that uh, Joey was able to capture, uh, the moments will live on forever. Yeah, for, and, of course. And whether people know it or not, I mean, Joey is one of a handful of guys who shaped, you know, some of the, the, the most major times in toad water sports. You well, know? it's nice for you to give him that, that uh, recognition, Dan. Well, totally. And it was, it was great having Joey on the podcast a long time ago. It's been a, it's, it's been a long time. And that was, you said he was 13 or 14? Yeah, right around right around one of my first ones. And this is 99? Number wow. 99. Yep, wow. exactly. Quick break here with Larry Medak. Since we are about to get into some WSIA talk, let's talk about a brand that has had a huge history within water sports industry, and that is Ronix and Radar Skis. Founded by the visionary Herb O'Brien and still today delivering the most ahead-of-its-time technology for beginners and pros. Radar Skis backs up the most fun events in water sports like Herb's Cup and Travis Moy's Bowie's Barbecue and Beer Contest at the boarding school. Well, you guys probably remember a little bit earlier when I was talking about the Twin Lakes Corn Fest this August 17th up in Twin Lakes, Wisconsin, where I got my start in competitive show skiing and just performing in front of crowds and, well, understanding what the industry was sort of and where I wanted to go with my career. Well, anyways, Radar Skis is providing us with a huge prize, an all-new Radar Trick Ski for the winner of the 16-person subjectively judged Trick Ski Showdown, subjectively head-judged by WSIA Executive Director Kevin Michael. 
I'm going to be skiing and competing in the trick ski event. I'm going to be announcing the Corn Fest all day long. I hope to see you guys there. I know the crew from Radar is going to be there, and I thank Radar for that and the fact that Ronick's legendary pro team athlete, my good pal Eric Ruck, will also be on hand. He's covering the event for waterskimag.com. And I don't care what you're on behind the boat this summer, just as long as you're out there. So head over to radarskis.com or ronixwake.com. See the whole lineup of gear and accessories to make this summer the best summer, at least until next summer. I think you guys understand what I'm trying to say. Thank you again to Ronix and Radar for all your support. Now let's get back to Larry Medoc right here on the Golden Mike Podcast, folks. All right, Larry, as we uh, come down to the end here, this is going to take a few minutes for you to kind of talk about, but I think it's really important. Uh, Water Sports Industry Association uh, isn't only a really cool organization that gives cool people like me awards. <laughs> um, you guys do some even bigger some better things. Uh, you guys are charged with a lot of um, tasks that nobody um, would ever want to, to have to handle themselves. Um, do me a favor, talk a little bit about what WSIA is, um, when it started, why it's here, how you got a part, how you became a part of it. And then, um, and then we'll kind of finish off with um, kind of what's going on within the industry and like what what you guys are kind of doing well that's a long journey in and of itself dan although the the wsi started about 35 36 years ago it was a it was a manufacturer's trade association that was actually put together by my old boss uh, walt maloon at correct craft and rob shirley from mastercraft decided that we really as an industry needed to talk to each other at least once so a these year. Are two competing brands. Two competing brands and they were vicious competitors, Mastercraft and Nautique, but the presidents of each of those companies got together and said we really need to lock ourselves in a room at least once a year and discuss the matters that affect all of us. And uh, that was the basic premise of it. Um, Can you real quickly just give me an idea of what some of those matters might be? Um, those were well before the pro tour days. These were, um, mostly liability issues. Um, how do we stay out of the courtroom? How do we prevent ourselves from being sued? So, so market share didn't really fit into that equation. It was just, we're like-minded folks. And how do we, how do we make sure that one of us doesn't do something that, that could cause our own businesses to fail and because people are start basically, suing each basically other? Basically, how are we going to keep water, toad keep water, toad sports, water alive. sports alive and well and growing and prospering? And the two of them said, well, if we're going to get together, we need to get the brands together. So back in those days, again, it was Denny Kidder and uh, um, um, Roger Teeter and I remember Gordy Holmes and and um, some of the real, and Herb O'Brien, uh, you know, th all the old guard, Pat Conley. And um, so then they had to figure out, well, okay, when, when and where are we going to meet? And so believe it or not, we'd meet at the Red Roof Inn in Seattle right after the Seattle Boat Show. Well, the Seattle Boat Show was then and is still to this day a 10-day show. It's a marathon show that goes over two weekends. So the show would wrap up on that Sunday, on the second Sunday. Everybody wants to go home, and now we're all supposed to go to the Red Roof Inn and meet all day to discuss water ski issues. It was, it was a formula destined for failure because nobody wanted to do it. Everybody wanted to go home. So we'd all get in a room. 
all talk about ideas. And as soon as we would get home to our appropriate desks, you know, you forget what you were going to work on as an industry and go back to driving your own desk. So that went on for years, went probably for three or four years. And then one day we found out about this organization called the SGMA, the Sporting Goods Manufacturers Association, which is huge. That was the Wilsons, the Nikes, the Adidas, the Reeboks, the you name it, the big boys. And we said, we need somebody um, that to at least be able to answer the telephone because right, we have this organization, but there's no central you know, phone. So we went to them and asked them, could we become part of them? And uh, or do you have somebody that would, would, could help us? And this man by the name of Jim Hotchkiss was assigned to us. Jim turned out to run, be the executive director for the WSI for 26 years. No, that can't be right. Maybe 20 some years. Um, and so he then took over. And so now we had somebody answer the phone. We had some place to send the money. We had some place to try to coordinate us. And his background was in uh, film production. So one day somebody says, you know, one thing that we probably need to do is, is um, Conley's just come up with this really cool boot. Hands down, I'm making this up, but I don't remember which boot it was. But somebody came up with the best boot. And they said, but I ride an O'Brien board, and I want to put my, a Conley boot on an O'Brien board. And they said, well, you can't do that because the holes patterns are different. And that was one of the very first things we took on as an industry association and said, well, that doesn't make any sense. Why don't we standardize the hole patterns? And if we did that, then everything's interchangeable, and the consumer then can do what he wants. That was one of those ideas that somebody threw on the wall and it stuck. And they said, that makes sense. And as soon as we did that, then the Slalomski guy said, well, we ought to do the same thing for the Slalomskis because we're in the same boat. And so the next thing you know, all the skis came around. Somebody then came along and said, you know, the warning labels that are on our product are just a hodgepodge of your attorney did it this way. Your attorney said it that way. And if we're ever going to defend ourselves, we all ought to be having the same warning labels so that, you know, we don't we're not used. Your warning label is seen better than mine. So yours is used against me. So they said, why don't we just come up with standardizing all of our warning labels? So the product guys, the on product side of that was really good. The boat guys had an issue because ABYC was the label writing company that did all the warning labels for boats that were put on and distributed by the NMMA. So that was a little bit more difficult to do, but we finally got it that sorted out and put that together. And Danny, like I said, it's, it's, there's, that's 40 years worth of stuff that's happened since then. I retired from CorrectCraft in 2004. People ask me, why did you leave in four? What was the rationale? And the rationale was I was to get on an airplane on in uh, in March to go do Moomba. I had produced Moomba for four years in Australia, and I had set up all of the dealers, all the distribution of our product in, in Australia. I had gone to Australia 15 times in four years. The idea of getting on an airplane to go back to, to Melbourne literally made me sick to my stomach. I did not want to do it because it's such a grueling trip. So I picked March 1st to be my 
retirement date because I didn't want to be on an airplane on March 4th headed to, to Moomba. <clears throat> so I lasted about 45 days and I was approached by Jim Hotchkiss and said, I understand you leave in Correctcraft. I said, yes, sir. And he said, well, I want to leave WSIA. I'm done. His wife had passed. And uh, he said, why don't you take it over? I said, wow, okay. Well, I get, that's got to be approved by the board. We met in Tahoe that that uh, that spring, and uh, board voted me in to become the executive director. So I took over the WSI in April of 2004. Jan and I had gotten our car and drove down to West Palm Beach, where the SGMA was headquartered. Took all their files out of there, and literally came back to this where we're sitting right now. We had sixteen thousand dollars in the bank, and we had probably. 50 members. It was a pretty small operation. Um, and uh, I'm pleased to report to you now, as of Tuesday of this week, there's over 600 members. Uh, we've got hundreds of thousands of dollars in the bank. And uh, thanks to an awful lot of hard work by an awful lot of people, we've taken the WSIA from basically something that we did after the Seattle Boat Show to, I think, a very credible, legitimate um, trade association that it's in. And Kevin Michael should get all the credit for this. He came up with the slogan that to promote and to protect. And I think that's your elevator speech. What is the WSI we promote and protect? Well, how do you do that, you know, Mr. Medoc? Well, we do that through advocacy. We do that through education. We do that through events. And we do that through risk management. So the four tenants, the four pillars that the association is built on, education, events, risk management, and advocacy. And um, those have all expanded and grown to all kinds of stuff to, at the end of the day, again, go back to market share. It doesn't matter if you're the number one market share leader or you're the new kid on the block. If you've, they've just posted a closed sign at the launch ramp, it affects everybody equally. You're out of business. So the WSIA's mission going forward is promote and protect so that we can always have a place to go enjoy toad water sports. Are there any like major battles that you guys are fighting right now? Anything like yeah, that? Yeah, there is. Unfortunately, Danny, it's a, it's a, a, the battle we're fighting right now is a behavioral issue that we have. Uh, with the success of wake surfing um, the, and the design philosophies of the boat manufacturers to try to create bigger, badder, better waves or wakes, what's happened is, is that the boat captain has paid little to no attention to what his wake or wave might be doing to the shoreline. Um, this gets very complicated so for the purpose of this podcast, let's just say that the distance that you are allowed to operate away from a fixed object or a shoreline is dictated state by state. Example, in the state of Florida, there is no setback. You could so you be about 10 feet from people's be, If the water was deep enough, you could be 10 foot offshore 
you would not be breaking a law. Would you be stupid? Yeah, but there's no laws against, against stupidity. And where, where I'm from, where I grew up water skiing, Wisconsin, I think it's a minimum of it's something a, like 100. It's 100 feet going to 200, but right now it's at, at 100. Um, so what happens is, um, and, and I don't know that these boat captains are doing this, quote unquote, intentionally just to harass the boat, the property owner. But let me give you an example of the world I've, I live in now and the work that I specifically do now for the WSIA. The boats indeed have created beautiful wakes. My quest is to get the boat manufacturer to stop talking and using adjectives like large, huge, tsunami, tidal. Let's use terms like push and lip and curl and ramp that this is what you need to, to wake surf. Unfortunately, they continue to ignore that request and they continue to talk about how big their wakes are. So knowing that, we then see uh, boat companies putting on the biggest, baddest, loudest stereo systems known to mankind. And so now you have in effect, and I spoke at the Nautique dealer meeting the other day, and I used a term that I watched to the audience, and this has to do with youth and my old age, but I said, the stereo systems on the boats are similar to a bugle calling revelry. They didn't know what revelry meant. I could tell by the look on their face. But if you take a stereo and you blast that son of a gun at wide open throttle like these young people like to do, and I live on a lake and I'm trying to enjoy a cup of coffee at 7 a.m., the revelry call is that stereo right off my dock and say, come on out and see what's going on. Because otherwise I wouldn't even know he was out there. Right. So I hear it now. So we got this stereo, which is the revelry call, telling the guy, come on out to the end of the dock. So guess what? The homeowner obliges and he walks down to the end of the dock. And this boat has just blasted by, and he may not have ever seen the boat. And he sees these rollers coming in, and the guy is too close to his shore. And what's he do? He turns right around, comes back, and do it, does it again. Why? Because he's on the lee, he's on the lee side of that, of that body of water, and there's no wind chop. And he's thinking, well, I've got to have perfect water for wake surfing. Well, he doesn't need to have perfect water, nor does he need it for wakeboarding. But he thinks he does because... That's tradition. Let's see if we can find glass calm water. So now he's passed the guy the second time, still blasting his music, still too close to shore. So the property owner yells at him the third time he walks by, drives by and says, hey, son, go someplace else. I don't want to hear your music. You're too close to my shore. You think the captain's going to request, you know, respect that request? Hell no. He flips them in the bird, tells them to F off. Well, he just, the guy just spent $100,000 yeah. on this boat. He yeah. can do what he wants, I want right? to do whatever I damn well please. I'm the captain of this ship. Do you know, Danny, there used to be a placard you could buy in a ship store. I defy, I defy you to Google ship's store and see what comes up. 
I doubt that you'll find one. What but is it? A ship store was the, in the old days was the where you'd go in and buy the ashtrays and the right. lamps and the and the nautical okay. gear for your you know the you know the all the nautical gear that you wanted because you were into boats. You can't find ship stores. I mean, you might find them in a museum. You might find them in a antique store. But in these ship stores, you used to buy a placard. And on that placard, it said, I am the captain of this ship, and I will do as I damn well please. Swear to God, Danny, you could buy that placard. The placard you can't buy, the attitude is as real today as it was 50 years ago. You get somebody behind the wheel of a boat. I'm the captain of this ship, as I'll do as I damn well please. It even includes drinking alcohol. Why is it that it's unacceptable to drink alcohol and drive a car? It is preferred and encouraged to bring alcohol and drink while you're boating. That's a cultural issue that you and I will never solve in our lifetime, but it's something we've got to figure out. So why is it that this kid now behind his daddy's $150,000 wakeboard boat or daddy himself, I'm the captain of the ship. I'll do as I damn well please. He flips off the homeowner and says, I am not going anywhere. I have a right to be here. I have a $150,000 boat. I must be successful. Well, guess what, Mr. Boat Captain? That that boat, that property owner is going to go to 10 property owners to the left of them, 10 of them to the right of them, and collectively those 20 guys, when he says, will you help me fight that son of a gun and get him off my lake, he's got more juice than the guy driving the boat. The reality of the guy in the boat is like, hey, he may be nothing. could have just waved. Yeah. All you had sorry. to do is say, I'm sorry, move on, I'll turn the stereo down. We would have avoided the whole issue. I just think a lot of people don't really even understand that there there is this. You know, I I was just out in one of my neighbor's wake surf boats yesterday, and I don't know if it's you know when, when I'm not in his boat, I can feel the waves hitting my house. Yep. I live on a boat or in a boathouse, and when he turns, I can hear his music. But I, when I was in the boat, I think he yeah. knows. You know. Yeah. Uh, um, kind of that I, I'm hanging out with you guys, the WSIA, and I'm sort of promoting this this thing right now uh, to, to wake responsibly. and But at the same time, I don't necessarily know that he knows, you know. I think and, you're and right. He, and I think he's, rep- this guy who I'm talking about, represents 95% of the people buying yep. these boats. Yep. And, you know, I actually at WSIA, I heard you tell a story about you being out playing tennis mm-hmm. you know, one morning, 6.30 in the morning, and uh, some great riders come by and they're training. They must have been training because yep. they were out in the perfect conditions, but they were also blasting. Yeah, music. And, and, and I didn't want to hear it. You know? I didn't want to hear it. At, like you said, at, at that early in the morning. And and it's just like it's it's yeah. They don't they don't understand. And the thing is, is you 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 did mention these companies are putting these big sound systems on. Yes, they are meant to be heard, but there's a time time and, and place, place for everything. Time and place for everything. So what's so my job now is in the what my role I play now with the WSIA because I retired from executive director. Kevin Michael took it over two years ago. Is I now go out and fight for the water rights we have what we call a water access committee and uh, waterway access and we go out there and try to make sure that nobody shuts down these waterways and but it's an educational process and our fundamental philosophy is that we would rather educate than regulate and uh, we unfortunately though because of the success and the popularity of wake surfing we got issues all over the United States now. Every single day, I get another call, another email. We have a problem on Lake such and such. Um, I just got today an email from a, a state representative of Wisconsin 
begging this, telling this one township, don't, don't restrict this activity. So, you know, we're, I think we're making headway. We're doing everything right. You know, whether some of these, you got to think of this is that, you know, we, we have so many different layers of government. We have our federal, we have our state, we have our county, we have a city, we have a township, a municipality, all these guys. And oftentimes, Danny, these guys are operating from what I call the bully pulpit. They don't have necessarily the authority to do what they think they want to do. But as long as they can bully the citizenship into it, uh, they'll they'll try it and they'll get away with it if they can. So we have to fight and we have to go out there and so protect it. A lot of times people think that, that they're just one person. I can't do anything. Oh, they what's, can. What's the advice? Because there, there's two things here. There's the situation where you can proactively um, make a difference before something happens. But then unfortunately, there's already yep. these yep. situations that are already in motion, which you, you we don't even want to get it there. Right. Right. We have a, that's a great observation is that we actually have divided our work into proactive and reactive. So our proactive is our wake responsibly campaign, trying to educate people, you know, to stay away from the shore at least 150 feet. I think you're going to see that change to 200 feet. Uh, you know, repetitive passes is probably the biggest issue in the sound that, you know, that you've just got to monitor your sound levels. Um, but that's our, our, our proactive, our reactive is a whole nother group of tools that we kick in. Like you say, when we see stuff, something going south and we've got to figure out, all right, how do we, how do we fight these guys, you know, on, on whose authority do they think they're operating on versus what their reality is? And can we stop them from trying to pass any ordinances? So, so we've got, we've got kind of two jobs to do right now and that's kind of to um, help spread the word to the ambassadors yep. um, and by ambassadors I pretty much mean anybody who owns a boat absolutely going out there yep. wakeboarding wake surfing but I even feel like sometimes this sort of even goes to the water skiers too because at me as a water skier I was a criminal of this for so long I would you know oh it's October in Wisconsin the cops are away and I hope I, I'm there's got to be some sort of statute of limitations now. <laughs> so uh, but I'm going to run this pattern 50 yep. feet from the dock because that 500 foot stretch is the only glass yeah, on the entire right, lake. Right, so right. it's October. Yeah. It doesn't really matter. But, you know, but again, the different the difference is again, and we're going back to water skiing and wake and wake sports competitive or analysis is that that water skier, because it takes so much out of your body, you know, you got about six passes and you're done. Right. Body won't go any further. So the repetitiveness of a slalom pass is different than the repetitiveness of a wakeboard or a wake surf pass. And, uh, you know, you could come in to do your slalom workout. You're in and out of there. Just consider the speed that you're skiing at you're boom 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 you're gone that wake surfer again remember he's got his social you know he's got his posse with him so that's just one guy yeah. now you know okay you got you're five more coming you got up. five more coming up and next thing you know you know one of the issues we got in on like conway here was a, when they were filming some of the locals here one of the home property owners his battery quit on his video camera at the 76th pass in one day in one day wow. 76 passes but now i gotta ask you this question though because i hear a lot of people who will say oh those wakes are damaging they're not my no. well and the, and the reason why they say that oh it's damaging my shoreline well here's the thing i've got this guy on my lake who i'm now friends with i'm happy 
for a couple of years, I could feel his waves hitting my house, coming, hitting my shoreline, okay? For years, for two years, I stood on the dock. He'd be like, hey, man, come pick me up. I think he thought I was going to yell at him, yeah. so he never did. Anyways, years, two years, and this guy was out there five times a week, probably for at least an hour and a half running these same lines. Never saw it really do any damage to the shoreline. Now, I, I left my house for um, Hurricane, what was the last one we had, Hurricane Irma? Right. I left my house for 36 hours, and I came home, and my shoreline was completely different than what it ever was before. So, Mother uh, Nature will do far more damage. Wind will do far more damage than But any. what do we say? Because, I, I mean, people are, are seeing these um you know these waves that are being pushed all the way into the shoreline and and people are saying these waves are damaging my shoreline what do we say to those people well first of all scientifically we have proven through testing in shallow water and deep water that wakeboard and wake surf wakes do not carry enough energy to destroy property and shorelines as long as you are at least 150 feet now you get somebody in there at 75 feet yeah then that then all bets are off those wakes will beat the snot out of it but it's, but gonna it's take distance whole, it's going to take a lot of passes a lot of passes <laughs> a lot of passes but distance is the distance is our friend in this particular application um show me data scientific data not anecdotal data Show me scientific data that says to the contrary, that waves or wakes do destroy shorelines or property at 150 or 200 feet offshore. No such data exists because it doesn't happen. So we feel very comfortable that as long as we're 150 feet, again, I think you're going to find that the whole United States is moving towards 200. The fact this letter I told you about, we just got from this rep- state representative, is asking at 200 feet. Um, uh, we already know that Washington, Oregon, Idaho is at 200 feet. New York is trying for 600. We think we'll get them back to 200. More and more people paddleboarding yeah, and whatnot. Exactly. So idea. 200 makes sense. And at, at 200 feet, I'm sorry, Mr. Homeowner, they don't carry the energy. We got the science to prove it. If you wanted to refute that, then present the science. Don't present me your opinion because it doesn't matter well and, and, I want and I don't, science and i don't really know about this 100 percent. but the way that i personally see it is a majority of the time it's when people hear the music oh yeah it's when people hear the music and then you try to tell the guy to turn his music down and he flicks yep. you off yep. that's really probably the problem starter uh and 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 also you know going back and i hate to say this because i used to love to repeat passes but the like the whole repetitive passes thing it's like you keep looking outside and you're like all right buddy yeah, i'm just enough. getting sick of looking yeah, at yeah, you yeah yeah you enough. know exactly exactly so that's you're exactly right. You know, uh, with with that being said, um, you guys at, with at the WSIA obviously have the tools and the know how. So, what do people need to do if they, they want? They just get we have a or... we have a site on our website that they can contact us. It's a form they can fill out that gives us all the pertinent information about what the complaint is, the size of the lake, the name of the lake, the county that it resides in, obviously the state. Is it controlled? Is it a private lake? Is it a public lake? Does it have a launch ramp? All of that. Those data points if you get those to us we then can figure out 
how we're going to approach the situation. Uh, all of those contacts are forwarded directly to me, and then I'm on the phone and or the email immediately contacting them saying we can help. Uh, we met uh, on Tuesday of this week that we're thinking of adding a, a um, place on our website that will have all of the document deliverables all at one place. So if a guy wants to call in and say, hey, I want that, I want a new launch ramp sign that you guys are promoting, uh, but he wants it bigger than what we offer, then he can get it digitally and then he can take it to his local sign shop. Uh, it's going to have what will happen to if his lake does imp uh, you know, impose restrictions, what will happen to his property value, what will happen to the economics uh, in his area. So we'll have all of the deliverables on what happens when you go the restriction or the banning route versus go the educational route. And we'll provide data on both. It's just unbelievable. I learned a lot when I was at the WSIA Summit and just how much uh, impact our sport has in so many different areas. And then you go into like, even like the small towns, like the town where I grew up water skiing in. And, you know, e even though maybe some of the local people don't understand the economical impact that water skiing and wakeboarding and wake surfing brings in there. At the end of the day, you look at that lake and there's a hundred, hundred thousand dollar boats on that one yep. lake. That means that money is coming into that yep. town some one way or another. Amen. Amen. Absolutely. I think one of the things, too, we're, one, one, the, we're most proud of, too, Danny, is is the fact that now, uh, you know, the WSIA 35, 36 years ago was nothing. I mean, we were just a small group of guys. What I enjoy seeing now is our work with the United States Coast Guard, our work with the National Association of State Boating Law Administrators, our work with the NMMA, our work with the ABYC. Um, very, very proud. And all of those organizations look upon us as a contributing uh, entity to recreational boating safety. And uh, that's very rewarding is that we can walk into any organization, stand, you know, shoulder to shoulder with, you know, officers of the United States Coast Guard um, right here in Florida, the Department of Fish and Wildlife, which controls all of our waterways in the state. Uh, we deal at the top of the of FWC. The boating law administrator for the state, his name is Gary Klein. Gary will call me. I will call him. I spoke to Ramona Fernandez, the boating law administrator for California, just two days ago. Um, those relationships are hugely important. And so when when we get into one of these kerfuffles with you know somebody on a lake, uh, it's really important to be able to pick up the phone, have a relationship with a BLA, and say, all right, here's what's really going on, not what some exaggerated HOA or or property owner is telling you is going on. You know, and and maybe if maybe it could be as easy, listeners, as you guys. Uh, and I'm talking to the people listening to the podcast right now. Maybe st you know you don't run away from from your boating law enforcement out there oh, on the lake no. or the DNR. You know, I know that the, growing up you'd always be worried. Oh man, these guys are looking out for us. But hey, as long as you're following all the rules, you're fine. But maybe maybe you invite a, a water cop or a DNR guy or somebody from locally to 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 come out in your boat and experience what it's all about, the family, the lifestyle. Yeah. Danny, it's interesting you bring that up because uh, when you get involved in government, uh, government lives on acronyms. I mean, they have all these acronyms for all these different programs. One of the acronyms that is very special to me is, is called an SME. An SME is a subject matter expert. And... 
people need subject matter experts. If you think about it, you if you've got a problem with your computer or your iPhone, you go to the Genius Bar. You go to a subject matter expert that understands everything there is about your computer or your car or your boat or whatever. Well, when it comes to being issues on the water, the locals that work those waters and know the, the, the patterns, that know the the terrain, that know the weather patterns that come into a valley that affects this body. Those are the subject matter experts on that body of water. I would want a dealer or maybe an individual to be seen as the subject matter expert for that marine officer that is responsible for patrolling that boat. Because if something goes south, I want to be the first guy called. I want to be the guy that the cop calls and say and says, Dano, I just saw it since to happened. Tell me what happened. Tell me, what do you know about it? And if he trusts you, believes in you, knows that you're a moral, ethical man that's not going to exaggerate, that's going to tell him the truth, you become invaluable to that guy because he's spread so thin. So you're absolutely right. Every lake, everybody listening to this podcast, you would you would be amazed at what would happen if you would go buy that guy a cup of coffee buy him lunch, he's out there in his patrol boat by himself, become his friend, become his subject matter expert. It will pay dividends like you cannot believe. Well, you know, you, and it's the way to pass the handle. Amen. <laughs> there you go. It's the way to pass the handle. That's it. Larry. What man. a way to end, huh? Man, I appreciate all of your time here. We went a, li- a little longer than I expected us to go. but That's because we're two long-winded guys. That's all right. We might cut this one into uh, two episodes here. Before I fully uh, let you off the hook uh usually at this point i'll let people like talk about their sponsors or social media or people they want to thank so uh i don't know i don't know where you're at on social media or if you have websites or anything whatever you want to promote whoever you want to say thank you to or shout out i'm gonna just say thank you to you dano for taking the time to to come and talk to an old man that's been in this a while and uh, uh i tip my hat to kevin michael my the new executive director and diana dobbins uh who keeps the book straight. Uh, we've got a great executive committee at the WSI and I think a great engaged board. So life's good. And I look forward to being around for a while. Larry, it was an honor to win your award uh, back in late February, early March at the summit. I'm looking forward to coming back for my second summit next year in February or March, whenever it's going to be. And uh, hopefully get to present the award to somebody you know, who's doing even more than I am and even more deserving. Thanks, Danny. Thank you very much, sir. SeaDeck Marine Products. SeaDeck is the industry leader in innovative flooring solutions, supplying the best boat builders in the world with comfortable, durable, non-skid flooring systems. SeaDeck has a worldwide network of certified installers to help you design a custom kit for your boat. For free samples and more information, check out www.seadeck.com. That's S-E-A-D-E-K.com. Your boat deserves SeaDeck. Presented by Sea Deck Marine Products. It's the Golden Mike Podcast with the noise of the North, Dano the Mano. That's it. That's all, folks. Thank you to Larry Medock for the amazing interview. So good, it took two. Two episodes, and if you stumbled upon this one, then go back and listen to episode 99. 
which is also quickly rising towards becoming one of the most downloaded episodes I've ever released. If you have any questions of your own for Larry, you can go to WSIA.net. He checks out most of the emails that head on over there. And while you're at the website, take the Wake Responsibly Pledge. It will literally take 30 seconds. Share the pledge with your friends. Be an ambassador for the sport and, you know, let them know that you guys heard all about it right here on the Golden Mike Podcast. All right, everybody, I am moving around as always. I'm traveling event to event. This weekend, I'm going to be stopping by the Wisconsin State Show Ski Tournament in Wisconsin Rapids out on Lake Wazicha. I'm going to do a little promoting for the Corn Fest. Come say hello the morning of Saturday. I'll be out there to check out some of the teams and to say hello to some of my friends. Then I'm off to Seattle, Washington for the WWA Wakeboard National Championships, July 25th through the 28th. I'll be kicking off August just outside of Chicago, Illinois, in Crystal Lake, Illinois, over at the Cory for the 2018 WWA Wake Park National Championships. That's August 2nd through the 5th. Then August 17th is the Twin Lakes Corn Fest. I want you all to come up and come out to see four on-water disciplines, music, all-you-can-eat corn, I'll be on the microphone trying to get some pro riders up there as well to be a part of the Feet on Fire North. And then I'm going to be in Japan for the WWA Wakeboard World Championships. That's August 30th through September 2nd in Miyoshi City, Japan. Then on a plane back to the States, down to Orlando for Wakeboarding Mag's Wake Awards and the Performance Ski and Surf Gravel Tour. Those are the first full week in September, so check it out. Book me for your next event. You can contact me through email, goldenmike at noiseofthenorth.com. My social media, again, is at the Dano Timano and at the golden underscore Mike on Twitter. Instagram, I am at Dano T Mano. My Facebook page is the Golden Mike Podcast. Like it and share it. Spread the word about the Golden Mike Podcast. Let everyone know all 101 episodes are available on iTunes, most Android podcasts, listening apps, SoundCloud, and noiseofthenorth.com. Rate the show, write a review, because when you do, it makes me happy, and then I can read it right here on the podcast. Thanks again to Big Layer Larry Medock for two amazing episodes. And now a few shout outs to the sponsors and folks behind the scenes. Thank you to SeaDeck Marine Products, Boulder Boats, WSIA, Roswell Marine, Woodrow Sustainable Optics, Performance Ski and Surf, Wakeboarding.com, Footin.com, GoPuck, Hyperlight, Conley, Ledwake, Ronix, O'Brien, and Slingshot, Jenna Carruth on the web, and Rich Walsh on the audio. That's going to do it for today's show, and I appreciate y'all for tuning in and listening. I'm the Noise of the North, Dan Lamano, and you can hear me next time once again on the Golden Mike Podcast.